Welcome to the PreparedX podcast, your complete source for crisis, emergency, business continuity and security preparedness interviews, news, and much more. Now, your host, he creates chaos for a living, Rob Burton. Hello and welcome to episode 90 of the Prepared X podcast. I'm your host, Rob Burton, and Happy New Year to everyone. So our first one, I believe, we recorded in uh, 2022. Just before we get started, I'd like to let you know that this episode is brought to you by the International Crisis Management Conference. The conference this year is between June 7th and 8th. Um, and that will be in Newport, Rhode Island. So we're getting people back together again. Of course, COVID dependent. More details to follow. Go to crisisconferences.com. That's crisisconferences.com for more details. Well, today I'm really excited to be joined by a fellow Brit. I'm joined today by uh, Moose Mutlow, uh, who has over 30 years of traditional and alternative education experience from around the world, vast amount of uh, experience. We were just talking before we got started here. Uh, he's a course director of 58-day 58 58-day 58 Outward Bound Instructor Trainings uh, in the Appalachia, um, has been a deputy headmaster in the Kahara Desert, managed a beach concession on the Mediterranean, uh, you name it, through the Australian rainforest, which I'm sure was fascinating, uh, and the list goes on here. We'd love to le hear a little bit more about your career so far, Moose. How are you? I'm good, and Happy New Year to everybody out there. Um, I have been very lucky with my career. I've done a lot of traveling. It's all had some degree of balancing education and wilderness programming. Uh, I come from uh, a more traditional education background, I'm actually a qualified school teacher, and I've got some social work experience behind me. And I just pretty much got the opportunity to travel the globe and try lots of different things. And I ended up in the United States working for a group called Outward Bound and did a decade with them, ultimately as a senior training uh, manager, director and then moved into working in and around national parks, predominantly within environmental education. But as part of that uh, work within the parks, I was also able to use some of my outdoor skills and I started working within search and rescue for the feds. And I am the senior instructor for the Swift Water Rescue Program in Yosemite. And I'm a national trainer for family liaison officer work in and around the national park system. That's perfect. And I know we're going to get into the family liaison officer role. And, um, you know, I'm fascinated to hear a little bit more about that. And I think that's how you came across us in terms of, you know, we're, we're communicators here, we're crisis communicators, we, we're in the business of uh, helping um, folks come together and, and communicate during crises. So this is a perfect uh, way to start the year. I appreciate your time. Great. Um, so let's get started. I, mean, I always like to uh, ask our guests about the most challenging role in their career so far and why. What, what would that be for you, Moose? Uh, I've, I've worked point a lot in the last 20 years in and around major incidents and that involve fatalities. And the, and the continued challenge I have is in and around death notifications. It's actually sitting with people and giving them the worst news they're going to hear that a loved one is dead. And then beginning that sort of journey of giving them the facts, but also allowing them to start to get their head around a grieving process, finding that balance is always 
there's always a challenge. It's always difficult, particularly when you haven't got a, uh, uh, when you've got an unresolved disappearance. So somebody who clearly hasn't survived yeah. a, a, a very big fall and we haven't recovered their body yet. And we're months into the search and there's no clues and we don't necessarily know if we're going to be able to find that person. Right. Right. Yeah. I was, uh, that's, it's interesting you say that and that must be, you know, really, um, really difficult. Um, uh, you know, no matter, you know, you know what the situation is. Um, and a lot of people that go in some of these uh, expeditions, you know, by themselves or as groups, you know, you know, there's a certain amount of risk that they, that they go through. I was watching recently some shows, uh, missing 411. I'm not sure if you're familiar with some of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's quite interesting to hear some of the stories that uh, are behind that in terms of, you know, uh, you know, people literally, you know, vanishing and, and, you know, sometimes, you know, never reappearing, you know, equipment or anything else for that matter. So I can't imagine, um, you know, how difficult that must be. And all families want is closure. They, right. they want to know, quite often they want to know how did the, how did their loved one die and did they suffer? And it's really important in the work that I do to go with facts and be very clear about what we know and what we don't know and don't guess or like put an opinion in there when you, when it should be a fact. Sure. And then the reality is we, we live in these vast spaces and America is vast. And when somebody chooses to disappear, they, they have a pretty good chance of doing that. There's a lot of places to hide out there and there isn't a lot of mystery. It's, it's, it's quite often a misstep. A bit, of, a bit of bad luck or the cascade effect, a series of, of small, poor decisions that lead to someone dying. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's a- well, I think that leads us great right into the next question here. Um, you know, I'm sure our listeners would love to, you know, hear, uh, you know, what the role is, what's the, you know, role of the family liaison officer, what's that consist of? So the family liaison officer is is part of the incident command system that's used in predominantly most search and rescue responses. It's a hierarchical division of responsibilities with an overall incident commander who then delegates authority for very specific areas, whether it's operations or logistics or planning. Yeah, and, and that's, the, that's, that's the ICS system that's used in the emergency management throughout North America. Right. Yep. Yep. And it and the family liaison officer is 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 the is the IC the incident commander's representative to the family. So you have a direct connection uh, to the IC at all times, and you're in all the briefings, and you are representing command in any interaction, as well as part of giving information to the family or receiving information from the family. So in in some countries, particularly. Britain's a good example where the family liaison officer is typically a commissioned officer who's mm-hmm. part of the investigation team. In the United States, there's opportunities for non-commissioned uh, personnel to actually fulfill that role. And you, you're on the edge of investigation, but you're delegating that typically to an investigator. Mm-hmm. Your job is to provide a, to, a conduit for information to flow both ways to allow family to be listened to and to insulate, insulate the mission from maybe the family's emotional response so that they can focus on completing that task. Yeah. Yeah. And that role in traditional emergency management is a communication role that um, sits right next to um, command. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm familiar with that. And many of our listeners will be familiar. Um, Obviously, you know, the the slight difference there, um, you know, in, in your space and your world is, is that the the term family? Yeah. And, and, and the, the other part of it is, 
is the family liaison officer for a long time has been viewed as this very soft sort of hold people's hands like be there on an emotional level and actually to be a really good family liaison officer you need to have a good understanding of the ICS. And if you understand search and rescue for me, and you understand the technicalities of vertical rescue, helicopter operations, swift water rescue, you're able to have really credible interchanges with the family where they, they have confidence in what you're telling them is true. Right. Because you're, the, you're an expert. And I, that's what I see as a real strength of the program is if you can find practitioners who have strong communication skills they can fulfill a vital role in allowing families to feel heard and also to get timely, accurate information. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's the two biggest lessons that you've learned with regards to being in that particular role, role as it relates to you know, those types of situations? Well, I touched on it a little bit already. Undeniable truth. You only give facts. You don't give maybes. You don't say, hey, this is potentially what happened or this is what the person experienced. You go with absolute facts. You don't create any gray zones. And when you don't know something, you say, I don't know the answer to that. Let me see if I can find it out. Right. But the, but the key piece in all of this is listening. Is actually listening to what families are saying and asking for. Yeah. And then documenting that in a fashion that they can remember what they asked for. And then coming back and using that as the script to report out what they asked for. I, I, I think that, when you hear a lot of times in accidents, families go on media and say, we don't know what's going on. That's because they're missing that family liaison officer right, role, right. who's really spelling out the reality of the situation in with compassionate objectivity. Yeah. Yeah. That, that really is a big, uh, a big mistake from organizations that uh, don't have those relationships. And we see it in traditional, you know, you know, corporate crisis management, uh, crisis communications 101 is, is that connection that uh, is often not there, you know, before, during, um, and then, you know, eventually they'll get it after, but it's too late there. Right. And I, I think people are frightened because there's a liability piece within there of being human. Right. If you're going to get sued anyway, because you've got, some failure within your system and you're worried about that level of litigation why don't you put a compassionate face on it and try to be helpful right and document it and you can guard yourself still but being human that's what families want in an accident they yeah. want you to be human not corporate Right, right. I, I'm sure there's, you know, in terms of that, you know, dialogue with the families, I'm sure you gather tremendous amount of information that, you know, is useful for, you know, for the search that's maybe still ongoing. Yes. Yeah, so what you're trying to do is all the time you, you make it really clear that you're reporting to the ICS. You're not reporting to the family. You're, right. you're, you're part of the ICS. And so anything they share with you that's pertinent you take good notes and you pass to the investigators or you pass to the instant commander to figure out what the next action is. The, in terms of if there's a criminal element, there's some crime is being committed. For me, I'm taking a step back and allowing the investigators to step in there and be really clear about what my operational limits are and what their responsibilities are. Yeah. But sometimes you hear stuff in passing that you pass up, that you'll actually take a little bit further, examine it a little bit more, make sure you've got good notes, agree this is what the family has just said, and then give a note onto the IC to figure out what the next step will be. And it might be 
we suddenly discovered this new place that they they like to camp and we've been looking in a different location right or we found out they've got a medical condition that was not previously revealed um well we had this family that was in the back country searching for treasure and the the spouse would not tell us where they were and it's because she they didn't want the their spouse to be beaten to the alleged gold that was buried in the back country. And oh, wow. the irony of the whole thing was that the place where they were searching, it had four or five feet of snow from a recent winter storm on, and they'd walked into a really dangerous situation and they complicated their, uh, their discovery by this subterfuge. Yeah. Um, so that's all part of being a family liaison is figuring out, the relationship in which people trust you, share information candidly, and know that it's going to be passed on to the relevant authority. Right. Uh, you've mentioned, you know, what, one of the most challenging things is obviously letting, you know, family members know that, uh, you know, that their loved one is no longer with us or, you know, still, you know, still missing and, and you know, those struggles. But uh, is there another, you know, what's another tough situation that you've been in um, as a family liaison officer? Well, it's, we're, re, we're a regional resource in and around the National Park Service. And I've had situations where I've been asked to respond to something. And then in that initial interview of figuring out what's going on and what's needed, you discover it's actually somebody you know. Right. And that we have a... We're, there are connections that are very, very tight in and around different agencies. And that like within the armed services, like, you know, that you, you're not that removed from knowing people. Right. And so for me, actually having to respond in the initial phase to somebody that you've known is, uh, is haunting. Yeah. 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 I bet. Um, what can some of the impacts be uh, if a family liaison officer is not trained? And, and do you have some you know, real life examples of that? I think you, you end up in a very intimate relationship with a family very, very fast. They start sharing information about the person who may have disappeared or passed away. And you have this accelerated friendship. And I, and I use that carefully because in crisis and in people grieving a lot of barriers come down and they just reveal and i think it's easy to drift into this point where you move from liaison to advocate right and i think that that's a real struggle because an advocate you're representing the family you're not representing the the ic the instant command and that's come up over time because of the intensity of the experience you had people start advocating for the family to have things happen that are special or outside of your jurisdiction. And we're not in that position to advocate. We're there to relay information sure. backwards and forwards. Well, you just, I've got just, um, just taking a step back, you mentioned you're a regional resource. I just, you know, thought of, uh, you know, something that I'm you know, really interested in. You know, what, what does that mean in terms of region? You know, what, what's that look like, ge you know, geographically and, you know, from a resource standpoint, what, what's the, what's the challenges around that? Is that how vast is that resource? So I've responded to things on the East coast from my home where wow. somebody's rung up to say, Hey, we've got, We've got this thing happening. Uh, we have a subject who has disappeared and we're going to go and talk to the family. Can I talk through the script with you right. about what I'm going to say to the family? And then you coach that person 
yeah. about what's happening or responding to federal anything under federal jurisdiction that is deemed uh, a a major. We can be called in to accompany family to memorials um, right. to be aware of and consult as other incidents are happening around the country and then mm-hmm. helping people to debrief it. A big part of the family liaison is you're taking on a lot of emotional energy. And so part of it is actually deep decompressing afterwards. So we use something called the stress continuum, which you may be familiar with. Yep. Uh, the responder Alliance is a group that we work around a lot and they have produced really good operational stress guides to help people talk through in peer groups where they're at as far as functionality, which, mm-hmm. you know, originally the stress continuum was developed by the Marine Corps to look at combat readiness. Yes. It's now moved to actually looking at the effects in and around trauma and figuring out how for us responders can refer people to a higher level of care. So that's the other part is, is debriefing with other people, their responses and how they're dealing with uh, the impacts of the role. Yeah, I have a former colleague um, in the UK who, um, you know, was one of part of the first, you know, UK uh, military teams that uh, put that whole pr- program together. I think it was um, TRIM is, is what it was called, the Trauma Risk uh, Management okay, yeah. Fra- yeah, fr- so Framework. So, And he's now doing that in hospitals. He's now doing that um, with other, um, you know, institutions and agencies and you know, organizations, you know, emergency, medical, fire, police, you, you name it. So um, it's good to see that that, um, you know, that, that process is being, um, is utilized in, in your environment as as well i we actually ran it with our search and rescue team last year as an ongoing tool and now we use it predominantly within peer groups of helping to guide through in layperson's terms recognizing where someone's functioning on a high level in green they're ready to go yep. where they might be reacting injured or critical sort of moving down to that more ptsi ptsd point and i think that within critical incident stress management which was uh, another form of doing these debriefs. One of the weaknesses there is people walk in and an hour later, the facilitators leave and Mm -hmm. whatever's happened has happened. The thing I like about the stress continuum is the ability to self-regulate, to have family members know what's going on in peer groups and then see where the roadmap is to go to a higher level of care, a professional level of care, not somebody just sitting in a group and recanting what they've had, but somebody who understands the therapeutic needs of a deeply traumatized individual yeah 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 such an important aspect of um of the world your world and and many other you know responders uh worlds um you know and uh, i know we've had uh richard dorney who uh, who runs that organization out of the uk um on the podcast previously and i'll share that with you because i'm sure you'll find that uh, yeah. fa- fascinating but uh anyway on, on to your book moose because I'm, I'm fascinated about your book when accidents happen managing crisis communications as a family uh, liaison officer what made you um you know write that book so covid was definitely the big disruptor and i had a lot more time on my hands and i found the space creatively to sit down and start writing it and it started out as a pretty cathartic experience i talk about a lot of personal experiences in and around the book to highlight the good and the bad things that work and don't work yep and there really isn't much of a handbook out there for what I would call lay people to tackle it. There's definitely some good texts out there to support people in law enforcement and the police. Yeah. Um, 
I think Duncan McRae's got a book out there that looks specifically at the investigative roles in and around family liaison. But this book was set up to have somebody just a practitioner who's been doing it for a while, have a reminder guide or somebody just starting go, oh, how can I help? And realize they've got the raw skills of being able to listen and communicate well. And then how do I do this sequentially? And how do I have start to build up my way of doing it? The book is a way of doing it, not the way. It's meant to be ripped sure. apart and right. adapted to each jurisdiction. Yeah, great. Well, we'll, we'll link uh, for anyone that's interested, any of our listeners, we'll, we'll link to that book. I think you mentioned it, uh, it's on Amazon. So we'll make sure in the show notes, we've got uh, um, a link there for the folks to check that out. Great. Thank you. Yeah. So great episode today. I want to thank you, Moose, uh, for taking your time out to, to join us here at uh, the Prepared X podcast. Uh, do you have any final comments for our listeners? And uh, if they want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? So you can get hold of me. Uh, I've got a Facebook page F at FLO resources, which are free resources for people involved or interested in family liaison work. You can get me at www.moosemutlow.com that's my website and that talks about on uh, courses or other resources that are out there and my big one right now is COVID has really promoted uh, a lot of anxiety in society and crisis mm -hmm. and I think I just encourage everybody to give each other a break we all manifest in different ways and when you think about trauma as being something that stops you from living the life you want to live. We've all had some level of traumatic experience in this yep. and be a bit kinder, hold your tongue a little bit when somebody drives you crazy and just recognize it, it will get better. It right. is going to get better. Right. Patience is a virtue, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. Great way to end. Well, I appreciate your time again today and uh, best wishes uh, Moose for uh, the new year. You too. Stay safe. Thank you. Well, that wraps up episode 90 of the Prepared X podcast. Uh, please rate us on iTunes or any of the other outlets where you might be listening to this. Uh, you may be listening through our website as well. Leave a comment. Let us know uh, what you thought about the interview with Moose. And again, Happy New Year and best wishes for 2022. And uh, we hope to see you on the next podcast, uh, which will be in a few weeks time. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Mm -hmm.